This is it, people. This is what you've been waiting for. This is Everyday Celebrity Podcast. The podcast for everyday people with everyday problems trying to find everyday solutions to accomplish everyday goals. Let's start the show. You, 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 you. Welcome to another episode of Everyday Celebrity Podcast. This is your host, Jordan Owandi, the number one podcast in Oakland, number one podcast in the Bay Area. Today we have a special guest. Uh, when you think of women who just have that aura, when you think of women who just make you want to not cuss, stand up straight, when they walk in the room, women like Erica Badu and Jill Scott comes to mind. We have an artist, a creator with me today. She is a painter. I believe she's a poet. <laughs> Model. Lena, welcome to the show. Thank you. Now, <clears throat> how was your day? My day was good. It's a blessing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I'm grateful. I am, you know, I was just telling you that, you know, part of my MSW program includes an internship. And because of COVID and everything, almost everything is being done remotely, um, you know, via Zoom and mm-hmm. things like that. So I'm a little, um, <laughs> how do you say, just a little drained, but I also feel very recharged being in this space. So I'm what are you good. in school for? It's a master's program for social work. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. <laughs> and you did undergrad where? CSU East Bay for my undergrad. Uh-huh. Um, I got my degree in sociology. Uh-huh. And um, I'm also at that same school right now for social work. Okay. So uh, what do you want to do in social work when you finish? When I finish, it's a um, wonderful question. I can see myself going in so many different directions. Um but I have clarity as far as knowing I'm meant to just be of help, um, especially with very underserved, under-resourced, marginalized communities. Mm. Um, I have a very strong spiritual community that's helping initiate me into being a healer um, in that realm. And I feel like I'm also being primed to be a healer in this academic community. There's this beautiful parallel journey going on right now for me. Yeah. And I'm very, very grateful. And then when you say healing, what type of healing are you talking about? I don't feel like, similar to art, I don't Mm -hmm. feel like healing can really be confined to one mode. If you're meant to be a healer, it presents itself in so many different modalities and Mm -hmm. manifestations. Mm -hmm. But um, I did come into this world just with this uh, kind of empathic energy, mm-hmm. um, strong sort of clairvoyant, intuitive energy. And I've always just kind of, um, oh, sorry, <laughs> I've always done um, sort of like quasi-Reiki and just different African spirituality, indigenous spirituality. I very um, It involves having to kind of touch people if they're comfortable with it, mm-hmm. you know, kind of feeling where their energy is and moving energy and... Um, 
that's just the surface of it all. Does that make sense? I see I mean, myself a little um, bit. I'm really into herbalism, really into gardening. Um, yeah. Just um, again, it's it, I can't confine it to one mode. I just see myself being of help, um, just like a little street curandera, just a little helper mm. that people can come to when they need a little guidance, a little clarity, love. Okay. Um, have you always been into the, like spirituality and healing and all that? Yeah, um, it's trendy right now <laughs> in a way, but this is nothing new to me. Um, when I say my first experience that I can recall is about at age five. Um, I was just really drawn to Yoruba, African spirituality. I made my first altar for Yamaya. I would visit the ocean a lot. And then I was introduced to this healer from Peru um, who would meet with me one-on-one, do a number of cleansing rituals and ceremonies with me, teach me a lot. Um, and we would only talk in Spanish and indigenous languages. Um, I didn't always understand the indigenous dialects he was speaking to me, but the Spanish, I just, I understood it all. Yeah. And he would not talk to me in anything else. This is in Peru? No, he was from Peru, but he would come up to the Bay to uh, share some of his, uh, his gifts mm-hmm. with, you know, kind of the bougie hippy-dippy white community, (laughs) (laughs) scratching at the doors of indigenous and African spirituality. Um, But it would help fund a school that he ran in the Andes with his wife. Mm. So he'd come up here just to, you know, collect his coin, share his gifts, and go back down there. And whenever he was up here, he'd meet with me. And I've had a number of other experiences since then where I just have been kind of initiated into this world of learning how to be a healer. Have you been outside the country before? Yeah. Well, I was born outside of the country, firstly. I was born in Ukraine, Uh uh, adopted from there when I was about nine months old. Um, And I'm Adopted from parents in the U.S.? A mother, single mother, lesbian mother in Oakland, yes. Was it a white woman? Yes. Mm. And um, I love her. She's so well-intentioned. And of course, she's a little limited as far as helping me. She was a little limited in helping me piece together my own lineage, mm-hmm. my own ancestral lineage. Mm-hmm. So, but I'm realizing now that's kind of an essential part of the journey, doing that research, that self work. Yeah, it's not, no one's really there to spell it out for you. You have to figure it out. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, but yeah, so on my birth mother's side, I have a lot of um, European. Um, Russian, Eastern European, a number of other things. But on my father's side, I've got a rich myriad of African and indigenous and Latin running through me. So you found out who your uh, real parents were? I don't know who they are, um, but I've done you know DNA testings just to have a better understanding of what my background is, mm-hmm. you know. And I trust that in time, if I'm meant to find them or any family, I will. Yeah. Um, I recently did 23andMe, and that does actually link you to family members who've taken the test. Uh-huh. Um, and I have a whole lot of family in the Caribbean, <laughs> a whole lot in Cuba, DR, Colombia, uh, a lot in Nigeria, um, and a lot in the U.S., actually. So when I'm ready, I, I know it's not going to be that hard. Oh, so you haven't reached out to any of them yet? Yeah. I've just been so on my own, very independent, self-sufficient. You know, I haven't, a part of me is like, I don't need to meet anybody. Yeah. You know what I mean? 
but there is that primal wound, that curiosity that I think is there for most adopted people. And when the time is right, I trust that that will happen if it's meant to be. Your adopted mother, do you think she uh, was able to teach you, uh, I don't know, how to be a, a woman of color? Uh, I mean, if she's white, I know she can't mm-hmm. teach you that, but nah. do you think she... Uh, she directed you in the right way as giving you like, oh, you should read this. You should go to this class or putting you in different um, mm. programs and shit where you can learn your history. Yes. Or I, learn how to be a black woman. And Yeah. She did her best. I mean, there are way more resources now, in my opinion, for, you know, white people who want to adopt children of color or black children. Mm-hmm. Um, when I was, you know, I used to uh, do childcare nannying for um, an African-American boy who was adopted by two white women. And they were just super involved. Like, we just went to a conference where we learned how to do his hair. Like, I just thought that was so cute. Uh-huh. You know, that wasn't really around when I was growing up. Um, so, again, a lot of it I had to self-teach. But I do think that she tried her best, you know, to get me a lot of books where, you know, the people in the books looked like me. Um, she would get me dolls as best she could that looked like me. She tried to get me in dance centers, community centers, art centers where people looked like me, mm-hmm. um, were like me, army, <laughs> you know. Yeah. Um, and then when I was 14, 13, excuse me, it was right after I did a genealogy test, my first round of that. And I was like, oh, okay. So I'm like, I got a lot of African ancestry in me. And I just became very curious, deep, like just went deeper. It's, a, it's like it goes in layers mm-hmm. and you start to find out this stuff. Um, initially with my adoptive, I mean, my adoption papers, all I knew was my parents' nationalities. And as you know, that has nothing to do with their ethnic background, their racial background. Yeah. So for years I was just like, okay, I'm Ukrainian and Lebanese, mm-hmm. you know, I, and I came across like I was denying my African ancestry to most of our people, mm-hmm. you know, and there was perhaps some internalized racism, some colorism going on within me, you know, mm-hmm. but again, I really was just ignorant. I did not know because this is all I had were these papers to yeah. go off of. Yeah. And there are very dark skinned people in the Middle East, contrary mm-hmm. to what a lot of people think, you know, mm-hmm. and that's very rich. There's Africans in the middle, like, you know, but I just didn't know that I had so much West African and Caribbean and like Latin American and indigenous roots too, you mm-hmm. know what I mean? Um, but yeah, sorry to answer your question directly. I went to this, uh, have you heard of Camp Akili? No. I went there when I was about 13 and it's a black empowerment camp. And it was all about like teaching, um, youth about their ancestors and sort of the history of slavery, um, the aftermath of such. When did you go there? I was 13. Um, so some years ago (laughs) and many years ago. And, um, that was your, your mother sent you there or mm-hmm. you found it out and asked her, oh, can I go there? Uh, she actually found out about it. Okay. And she was like, are you interested? I would be happy to help you go to this. Mm. So, I think it's safe to say she tried as best she could. Mm-hmm. Is she uh, still alive? Yeah. You guys are close? Yes. We've had, uh, had our tension, legitimate tension. Uh, there's been some ways that as well-intentioned as I said she is and has been, she's made some very, very intense major errors with me, in my opinion. As far as what? As far as being um, a brown girl, a black girl, uh, sort of punishing me for things when I was being purely victimized in a variety of situations. Because there's so much deep-rooted misogyny and misogyny towards black women mm-hmm. in this society, 
with certain things I went through growing up, I was often punished for them instead of understood, sent away for them instead of being held, you know, mm-hmm. and um, judged, criticized, labeled, shamed, all of that. And that was more towards like my late teenagehood, like when I was like 17 and sort of coming into my womanhood a little more. She just didn't understand a lot of what I was going through and exploring. Um, Were you ever abused? Uh I guess you not by I'm talking about like uh like sexually abused by any man growing up. Yeah. Mhm. Mhm. Okay. Definitely. Multi- like mul- on multiple occasions, different scenarios. Yes. And you told your mom about this? Mhm. And you're upset with the way she handled it or, or what? I'm not upset. I'm really at peace right now with all of that. I've done a lot of healing work on myself and with her, you mm-hmm. know. And she has apologized so much to me. For some of her misunderstanding, yeah, and uh, I guess failure to shelter me as a mother in mm. ways that I felt like were just necessary. Mm. Um, so we've come a really long way. I've come a really long way, so I don't feel like or you know too much. At least sometimes it it, it fluctuates. Yeah, like sometimes it'll come back to me like the tide, and I'm just. You know, I get angry, but yeah. it, I don't. It doesn't. It's not healthy. It's not beneficial for me to hold on to it. Mm-hmm. Um, it built grit in me. It built character in me, and I, you know, like most people, we learn what we want to do and what not to do from who raised us, and we can just hope for the best when it's our turn. If we're blessed to have that experience as yeah. parents as well. Do uh, your the things that you went through as a child, mm-hmm. do you think is that why you geared toward um, like being very spiritual? You're not religious, are you? You're just spiritual? Spiritual, yeah. Okay. Do you think uh, being sexually abused and everything else, um, mm-hmm. is that like one of the main reasons why you became very spiritual? No. no? I was into that before anything like that happened. Oh, okay. All of, a lot of sort of the mishandling I experienced um, that came at least mm, many years after I was already really into it. About mm. age five, I was really into it. Um, and I mean, I've had some experiences younger than that, actually, and old, not much older than that, sadly. But I was, I don't think it was tied to that. It's just always been a very deep-rooted part of me. It hasn't been like a means of saving me from you know the dark depths of trauma so to speak a lot of people turn to religion as like or spirituality as a Mm -hmm. means to make sense of hardship this sort of self-help self-betterment thing Mm -hmm. and i see beauty in that but that's not me so it's implanted in me way earlier what's the difference between religion and spirituality to you um for me i i mean i think everybody can have a their own personal definition of that. And that's kind of the beauty of spirituality to me in and Mm -hmm. of itself is that you can have your own sort of personal practice. You get to have a myriad of um, things to draw in from, you know, and it's less secular or just, it's less um, confined to sort of what I consider to be the, the confines of organized religion. I don't, with a lot of religion, it's monotheistic um, or it has sort of these undertones of like patriarchy running throughout it. And that doesn't resonate with me. Mm. Um, people's notion or understanding of like a supreme being, I don't 
personify that in any way, shape, or form. Mm -hmm. It's so much deeper and more profound than that to me. I understand why, you know, there's just something very ineffable about um, spirituality to me. It cannot be fully understood, comprehended, or articulated by us humans. Mm -hmm. uh, we try as best we can, and that's sort of how I see a lot of some spiritual practices, but mainly religious practices. It's like a very beautiful attempt at making sense of something that is not necessarily meant to be fully understood by us. Who is uh, some of the people that you look up to as far as like teachings and writings? and? Mm. Um, I love a number of Middle Eastern poets, Hafiz, Rumi. Mm -hmm. um, from a really young age, I was drawn to them. Khalil Gabran. Um, let's see. I am really drawn to, once again, Yoruba spirituality. So a number of priests, priestesses, chiefs, healers within that practice, I've always been drawn to that. Um, same with Santeria. I mean, that has like religious, like Christian undertones, you know, mm. but it, um, the roots of it are still African. Yeah. So I've always been drawn to that. Um, as far as philosophy goes, I mean, I love ancient and Western philosophy um, as much as I like Eastern philosophy, mm -hmm. uh, East and West. But as far as that goes, I love, you know, Plato, Socrates, mm, even more like more modern European thinkers. Like, um, I mean, they're not that modern at this point, but more modern than that. <laughs> so I love uh, Heidegger, even mm -hmm. though it's just. Likely, you know, it's, it's difficult for me to reconcile with my liking of some of these men, white men, because I know that they um, considered me intrinsically beneath them. Yeah. Um, but I still see beauty in some of their truths. Mm -hmm. um, I love Foucault. I love, who else do I love? Mm. Of course, I'm drawing a blank right now, but those are just some of my favorites. Those are the ones I always return to. Yeah. When did you start uh, painting? That was probably my, it's actually hard for me to say. I think dancing and painting both entered my life at a really young age. Mm -hmm. But uh, probably five, once again, is when I started painting dancers, female dancers. Okay. And that was a big theme. I've always painted women. I don't really have any interest in painting men, and people have misinterpreted yeah, that. Wait, as, wait, 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 wait a minute. Uh, Why? I'm about to tell you. <laughs> um, I love men. Mm -hmm. I'm actually like sadly only drawn to y'all as far as like my sexual orientation goes. A lot of people That's surprising. I know. A lot of people misconstrue my love for painting women as being drawn to them sexually because I yeah. often do depict women in sort of a sexual manner. Or yeah, I mean, manner. And you have to be you have you have to love the the female body if you're like, painting it right it's beautiful mm -hmm. it is art the female form is just divine <laughs> you know and that is true um but i can have respect for it and love for it and not want to have sex with it <laughs> mm -hmm. you know it just doesn't do it for me so you just don't paint male bodies because it's not as fun to me not as interesting to me not as beautiful to me okay. i'm not saying like i've had um a lot of women interested in me over the years, but I feel like I so. 
I'm not, I'm a little selfish when it comes to the, the love department with them. You know, mm-hmm. I don't have any interest in reciprocating certain things they want to do to me sexually. And that yeah. just feels wrong. So I'm just like, <laughs> it's not fair to you, sis, <laughs> or whatever you go by, you know? Yeah. I like what I like. I like a strong, divine male energy nice. in that department. Okay. But I have so much love and respect for just everything under the sun. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. I don't judge or discriminate against anybody who resonates with something different as far as like platonic connections, spiritual connections, professional connections, whatever, you know. When you were growing up, did your mother have a, a partner? Mm-hmm. Many. Or not many, like not like a plethora, but just, you oh, know. So she didn't have just one woman your whole, that you knew your whole life? And um, so you grew up in Oakland, correct? Yes. What high school did you go to? I went to Berkeley High. Berkeley High. Yeah. Um, was, what, what type of person were you like in high school? Uh, that shifted throughout my high school career. Were you so rebellious? To speak. A rebellious Towards team? the end. Towards the end, for sure. When I first entered in, like a, I would say my first two years in high school, I was very reserved shy i mean i've always been introverted but just Mm. i was in a place of being so self-loathing my self-esteem was so low were you i don't mean to interrupt but were you Mm -hmm. were you one of those girls who were you one of those girls who uh who didn't know they were beautiful like yeah i mean i'm still coming like all other guys wanted you but you didn't understand why yeah i still think that's me I don't. I still don't really see what other people seem to see. <laughs> you don't think you're a beautiful woman. I think everybody's beautiful. Do you think you are? Uh, yeah, sure. Okay. Mm-hmm. I'm speaking more to my internal characteristics, though. Mm-hmm. You know, it's still hard for me to see the the external stuff that other people yeah. compliment me on. Perhaps it's because it doesn't really matter to me. Ultimately, it's uh, it's fleeting. <laughs> Uh-huh. external beauty so i love to appreciate it in others but i don't i don't linger on it too much with myself because it's just like eh, yeah. for what <laughs> you know so you're in high school uh-huh. uh when you finished high school mm-hmm. did you go straight to uh cal state east bay no this uh-huh. is a big all right, so how much time we got? <laughs> All the time you need. All right, so like I was saying, my first two years, very reserved, very shy, would cover up a lot. I was arguably dealing with like anorexia, dang near, like I was in a very self-deprecating place. Mm-hmm. And I had just come from an all-girls middle school where I was like probably one of five brown slash black girls. Okay. It was a big culture shock, and it took me a minute to just understand myself and everyone around me Mm -hmm. and once i started developing more and started getting more comfortable with like dancing a certain way appreciating the body i was stepping into more and more not starving myself (laughs) anymore you know i sort of swung a little too far to the other end and just became a little too determined or fixated on presenting myself in a very sexual manner but it was there's so much power and potency to like sexuality and divine female energy and i didn't understand it so i was wielding it in ways that i didn't even understand Mm. and i wasn't grounded in it and i can see why that concerned some people you know Mm. from afar or even up close that's not to say i was having a lot of sex 
I know it sounds like I'm saying that, but it was more just um, the type of male interest I was pulling in and allowing. You know, it just uh, it was a little murky. Yeah. And um, the way I was dressing, even it was like I was trying to. I was pick. I was like embodying a very shallow surface level. Were you dating like grown men in high school? I've always been drawn to men much older than me. And I know some people would categorize that as quintessential Freudian daddy issues or whatever, but it's not necessarily just that for me, if that at all. Yeah. I'm very drawn to emotional maturity, mm-hmm. men who carry themselves with a certain level of confidence, respect, respect for women, have sort of a, a lot of life experience on their back and just know how to act, you know? Yeah. Um, and that usually is older men, not always, not always, but it tends to be. Okay. So I'm drawn to oh, just older energy, old souls. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, my first boyfriend, I think I was 14 and he was, it's not legal, but I won't blast him, <laughs> but he was, let's just say it was not legal. He was much older. Was like 37? Nah, it wasn't that bad. He was like 20. 20, huh? But I did not look fourteen. I did not act yeah. fourteen. Do you yeah. know? Do you understand? Yeah, I mean, yeah. In some ways, so like, not saying it was okay. That's all high school girls now. Right, 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 right. Um, I'm not. Uh, in retrospect, I understand why it was not appropriate. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, it wasn't as inappropriate as some might have assumed. Mm-hmm. If that makes sense. Okay. So continue. Uh, so why uh, mm-hmm. you were, you were telling the story of why you didn't? Oh, uh, go straight to college. Yeah. So basically in my um, senior year of high school prom night, um, I was videotaped having sex unwittingly. I did not know this was happening to me. And it wasn't even being done by the person I was having sex with. We were both completely, it was unbeknownst to us both. It was really invasive. It was really humiliating. It was really like crafty and sneaky the way that this person did this to both of us really. But it was, me- it was someone who was kind of stalking me. It was a little obsessed with me and I didn't so know. So it was a, it was a fellow student. Mm-hmm. And how um, did you find out? Um, a close girlfriend of mine approached me the following week at school and was like, do you know, are you good? And I was like, why wouldn't I be good? And she was just it told me what happened. And, I'm like, I've had to be a survivor and just like a fighter for myself from a very young age. So mm-hmm. when she told me that, I didn't have time to fall apart. I just went into game plan mode, right? Yeah. So I went directly. I assumed it was the person I had sex with because he did have a reputation of being a little bit of a douche and a womanizer. Yeah. We actually had a very special connection, but I was like, you know, I kind of wouldn't put it past him. So mm-hmm. I kind of sneakily went into this one class that I had with him and I was like, oh, my phone's dead. Can I use your phone real quick? <laughs> you know, and just went all through his stuff and there was no trace, no sign of anything, no tape, no like texts about it. He had no idea. Uh-huh. And so I was like, wow, okay, I got to go to admin and tell um, the school basically who did this and have them have their items confiscated and like searched. And I'm about to file a police report because I was also 17. That's technically child porn. Mm-hmm. You know, I don't play with that. Don't yeah. play with me. Yeah. Um, and so you, there's a like these big buff bodyguards just, <laughs> you know, go into this guy's class and just swoop him up and like interrogate the crap out of him and look through all his stuff. And there was evidence, you know. But what happened to the kid? Nothing. No. Nothing. 
Even when you filed the police report? Yeah. The police didn't do nothing? Nothing. And I got sent away to a wilderness program and withdrawn from UCLA. You see why this is not right? Yes, I do. Complete mishandling and disrespect towards me as a woman, as a black woman. Mm -hmm. Not okay. The kid who filmed you, was he white? Nope. Brother. He's black. But the person I had sex with was white. Okay. So, um... Yep. Were you, were you, how did that uh, affect you mentally? <laughs> I'm sure you can guess how that affected me mentally. <laughs> um, it was traumatizing, you know, and also being sent away, just sort of the intergenerational trauma I was carrying as a black person, a partly Jewish person, an adopted person, not knowing where am I going, what is happening to me, like, yeah. You get it. And um, feeling very punished for doing things that, you know, the, the the moment that I was having with this person, having sex with the person I was having sex with, it was consensual. Mm-hmm. It was meant to be private. We were having safe sex. In essence, there were, in my opinion, there was nothing intrinsically wrong with my behavior in that regard. Mm-hmm. What was wrong is that someone was filming me. <laughs> yeah. Found a very creepy, bizarre way to film me. And was distributing that to some of his friends and people around well, the school. Did he like sneak in your room? How did this happen? I don't even want to, I don't even, it's not even necessary. Like something to that extent. Yeah. Mm. Something to, to that effect. Yeah. So. So who, who's, your mother sent you away for that? Mm-hmm. Um, and just feeling so betrayed, so misunderstood, so mishandled in the loss of the college I was supposed to be going to UCLA. That is a privilege. Yeah. It is not an easy school to necessarily Why get into. Why did you have to withdraw from that? She withdrew me. I was a minor, so I had uh, no say in the matter. She withdrew me while I was uh, away. Did she do that to because tr- she was thinking of it? Was her mind set? Uh, I need to protect. I think you, she felt or? like yeah. At first, that was her interpretation of protecting me. It's like she's not ready for this next step mm. in her life path. Mm. She needs help. She needs fixing. <laughs> you know. Mm. Um, was that the first? That incident, was that the first time your mother found out you were sexually active? No. No? No. No. But I, that always, I think, concerned her. Even if it was being done safely, mm. it concerned her. Um, and, you know, all that that really, you know, it led to a lot of depression, anxiety, PTSD. Um, and I had already a lot of that stemming from other earlier life experiences, but it compounded, you know? And so even when I got out of that program, it took me some years to kind of recover mentally from that. And I needed some time away from school, even when I tried to kind of reapply or attempt to even just go to like community college a little bit. Um, How long were you in the program? It was a two month program. Um, but it, there was a lot of nonsense that I don't even have interest. I don't even want to give it my energy. There was just a lot of nonsense that went on there. Mm. Um, so it took a while for me to heal from that, heal from feeling so misunderstood, right? And just mishandled. Mm. It was like, it was just like, it was like a, this middle class jail, <laughs> you know? Yeah. It was really dehumanizing and disrespectful towards me, in my opinion. And um, after that, I lived in Boulder for a year just to kind of gain some work experience and figure out what I wanted to do next. Um, but that, I sort of, and while I was living there, I reapplied to some schools and I think I had internalized this message that you don't deserve this and that. 
but I didn't even reapply to UCU. I just went for state schools, and there's nothing wrong with state schools, right? Not a, nothing at all. But it's unfortunate that I didn't reapply for these institutions that I did get into. Mm-hmm. You know. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I went to SF State after a year of taking a year off, <laughs> and uh, as a dance major, I hated it. Um, <laughs> so that it was. Why'd you hate it? Bad teachers. Yeah, just underfunded program kind of meh curriculum a lot of favoritism shown to like seniors who were trying to get out after six years of being in the program like it was just a lot of nonsense and i didn't like the style of dance that i was being um, told to yeah you know i was being trained within ballet has always hurt my body it just hurts it doesn't feel right mm. i've always been way more drawn to more african and latin styles of dance <laughs> Um, and I also got involved in a very toxic relationship for some years around that time. And that really threw me off my educational track as well. I think it was a reflection of just feeling so low about myself that I allowed somebody to kind of reactivate a lot of trauma. Yeah. And, um, that lasted for some years. So all that to say, it took me some time to really ground myself and really heal and just get back on track with my schooling. But it's like once I w- was committed, once I was fully on board, you know what I mean. So what uh, what made you pick the subject that you are studying now? Like what happened? What happened in life? Or yeah, it was um just a GE, like a general ed class, intro to sociology at Berkeley City College. Mm-hmm. Um. I didn't have any idea that I would be that drawn to it. It was just something I was like, mm, this fills out some prerequisite that I need. Like, let me just take it. But my teacher was amazing, in my opinion. I don't even remember his. Yeah, I do. Daryl Hughes, I believe it's Professor Daryl Hughes. Okay. Um, really witty, funny, intelligent, um, I believe, British man. Mm-hmm. And he actually... and is a faculty member or, you know, something. He holds some position, I believe, at CSU East Bay, too, which is where I ended up to complete my sociology um, undergraduate degree. And I just loved the class. Everything felt, a lot of people who are pulled into sociology have a similar experience. Like, oh, I just wandered into this intro class and it just everything, all these ways I make sense of the world just were explained in this very beautiful way. And I just felt right at home. Like this is my academic home, mm-hmm. you know? Okay. And um, so you are in the master's program now. Whoop. Yes. <laughs> That's Oakland for you. <laughs> I, can edit, I can edit that out. All right. So, um, <clears throat> That, that, that fucked up my train of thought. Uh, we were talking about sociology, that being sort of my academic home. Yeah. We can wait for this nonsense to subside. Um, let me see if that's my car, huh? Okay. That's always good. You never know. <laughs> uh, anyway, you were saying? Yeah, so you, uh, <clears throat> so uh, let's talk about painting, your paintings. Mm-hmm. Do you, uh, 
sell your paintings? Do you? Mm-hmm. Um, oh yeah. Uh, you put on shows or anything? Yes. Um, you know, it's been it's a balancing act, just being a creative and an academic. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, with this strong pull towards healing work and just every other endeavor I have in life, you know, <laughs> it's a something that's always been hard to juggle. Um, but especially in my very early twenties. I'm sort of towards my late 20s now. But in my early 20s, I was doing a lot of art shows. Um, I've had a website for years that I sell art prints on, and I do freelance commission work still. I just don't always post about it, but it's always there. It's an undercurrent of who yeah. I am. Um, always selling watercolor art mainly. Mm-hmm. So. And how do you find the people that you paint? Um, there's usually not like any real you know, people, it's just visions that come to me and I just paint, Mm. you know, Mm -hmm. sometimes I'll come across a really beautiful woman on Instagram or something. Mm -hmm. And if I am drawing her, I'll always tag her, Mm -hmm. you know, to give her respect and the photographer, you know, respect for the image. But usually it's just coming from my head, from my dreams, from my subconscious. It's not anyone specific. Mm. People often think I'm drawing myself. They're like, oh, this looks like a lot of self-portraits. And I can see why, like, some people would say that, but it's not intentional, <laughs> you know? How do you feel, uh, in what way have, has, have you changed, like, mentally and physically? Since when? Since, like, college. Since... I mean, you're still in college, yeah. but since you were, like, a freshman to now... Um, you're talking about when I was at SF State and then took mm-hmm. some time off. Um, I would say at that stage of my life. Like, are you a more confident woman? Or are you? Yeah, you know, you know what I'm yeah, talking about. Yeah, for sure. Yes, to that um, question, I am. I would say way more self-confident, way more self-assured, just certain of myself and my goals. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm not. I learned a very, very beautiful but hard lesson in just not letting my love life deter me from personal goals, larger goals. Mm-hmm. And honestly, if my partnership can't foster or support that, then I don't think it's meant to be a part of my life. Um, do you feel like you, because you, I mean, you keep saying mm-hmm. your love life, do you mm-hmm. feel like you uh, choose the wrong partners all the time? No. Yeah. I would never say anyone I've been with was the wrong partner. I feel like that's a that's a superficial way of viewing those experiences, or a very like self victimizing way of viewing those experiences. Because I think it takes two to do that toxic tango, yeah. <laughs> you know. Yeah. Um, and the all of the people that I've been in partnership with, all like my twin flames, my soulmates, my lovers, I still love them. I don't need to be with them to still love them. Mm-hmm. I still see them as whole and complete individuals trying their best just as I am, yeah. you know, and they taught me a lot. They've all taught me a lot. And I hope I've taught them some things too. Mm. That's just life, (laughs) (laughs) you know? Would you ever be in a relationship with a couple? I've been asked that a lot. You know, it's usually, and I don't think it's really worth it for me Mm -hmm. because it's very hard to come across a genuinely open couple when it comes to that. I feel like my experiences with that have been usually one or the other is more drawn to me. 
not they're both they're both not necessarily on the same page as wanting to do that dance and that lifestyle yeah it's like they're trying to accommodate the other person's desire for me mm-hmm. and it leads to a lot of hurt feelings and jealousy and i've dealt with a lot of people just fetishizing me and hypersexualizing me and just kind of wanting to feast on me mm-hmm. as this kind of like swirly exotic like artsy woman and i'm deeper than that yeah I'm not just here to like titillate you. You understand? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So no. Okay. Um. After you graduate, are you? Do you plan on uh, staying in Oakland, the Bay Area? It's hard to say. Perhaps. When, um, do, when do you finish school? I will graduate. This is it's a two year program. Uh-huh. This is my first year, so I, I guess I think. Sorry. Dial that back. Let me try it again. 2020, 2022, okay. May of 2022 is when I'm set to graduate from my master's. And I would like to hopefully be in a position of um, being in a partnership, secure, secure place in my love life to where I can have kids, perhaps. Mm-hmm. Um, so you don't have kids now? No. Okay. But I would, I actually thought I would have had some by now, but I'm acceptant. You know, I'm a very career-driven woman who's had yeah. a lot of intense life experiences. So, you know, it's okay. Um, but I would love to have kids if I can have them. Mm-hmm. Even if I cannot bear them, I want kids in a different way. I would adopt in a heartbeat, you know. Yeah. Um, and I would like to kind of delve into that sort of familial realm of my life. Um, and then maybe go back to school again for my doctorate. I see myself being an academic and a learner for life, a researcher. Mm. I'm a very learned person. I love academia. So you think colleges and uh, like those school institutions are mm. worth it? Yes. If I feel like it really depends on the person and their goals, you know, I do not think college is a necessary step for everybody. In fact, I don't think it's for most people. Mm. We're so primed to view it that way, but I think a lot of these upcoming generations and our generation and even some a little bit above, you know, really get that. Why do you think it's a necessary step for you? Because um, I actually really love to learn in this way. Like it, like in a class? Or, yeah, you know? I love being in a classroom. I see myself perhaps being a professor one day. Like I love education and being an educator mm-hmm. in an academic, conventional academic setting. Mm-hmm. I really love it. Um. And I see this as necessary steps I must take to secure certain degrees that will open certain financial doors for me. Yeah. You understand? Like, I could do a lot of this stuff already, mm-hmm. but I'm just kind of working, finessing the program, you know, let me just, like, get do what y'all need me to do so I can do this and get paid well, mm-hmm. you know, so that I can, um, you know, th- what I'm stepping into is largely a labor of love profession. Mm-hmm. Most people that go into social work are not doing it with the expectation of being paid well. And if they are, they're in for a rough awakening. <laughs> you know, there are some, some, you know, avenues that can give you that. Yeah. But it is not a guarantee. Yeah. Um, perhaps that will change. There's mm. a lot of change in the air. But um, to, to answer that, I love to learn in this particular fashion. I want to be an educator one day and I need my degrees. So I can do a, a number of things I intend to do in this lifetime, universe willing. Do you want to teach uh, like college students, kids, or just any college? College. Mm-hmm. 
Do you want to be a college professor? Yeah, that would be my um, ideal. Okay. Uh, I could see myself doing a number teaching. I've do I've done a lot of tutoring with um, youth and teenagers over the years, and I love doing that more on a one-on-one basis. Yeah. Um, and the sort of the challenge I I often befriend a number of professors. Like I go to their office hours and we become friends and mm-hmm. they become mentors to me and I stay in touch with them even after I'm not their student anymore, you know, mm-hmm. and just having, um, you know, listen to them sort of their frustrations and, you know, hardships as educators. I'm just like, and some of those things I've experienced too, as a tutor, you know, dealing our educational system is so broken. And oftentimes when you're in a university setting, if it's like a state university or a community college, you're handed like a very wide range of students at different levels yeah. as far as their skill. And I want to work there. I want to work with that. Get everybody, get my people up to what they deserve. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Do you think, uh, how do you feel about the Oakland Unified School District? Do you think it's bad or good? I often don't look at things in such binary construct with such a binary construct. Uh-huh. It's not good or bad. It needs some, some help, needs some healing for sure. Yeah. Um, there's a lot of systemic ruptures in the Oakland public school system. And I, last year in particular, I was working with at risk. I don't really like that term, but uh, that's what it's often referred to as at risk youth mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, seniors who are presenting an extremely high likelihood of dropping out. I worked with this nonprofit as a volunteer, and I would go into these classrooms and work with students one-on-one that had been identified by faculty and admin as like, this person's about to dip, you know? Yeah. Help, please. And I would work with them for the school year. And that was a really eye-opening and gratifying and beautiful experience. And it was just like, oh, my goodness. (laughs) You know, a number of these kids, are going to end up at state schools. A number of these kids are going to just end up in a variety of different areas of life. And Mm -hmm. I want to help, you know, so they're not overwhelmed Mm -hmm. when they, in whatever, you know, the next environment they're in is, Okay. you know, have you ever been to therapy? Yeah. I've been in therapy since I was really little. Mm -hmm. Um, and I've taken pauses and stuff. I'm in it now. I think that we need to destigmatize mental health. We need to destigmatize having a therapist, a counselor, just somebody outside of our immediate life having an unbiased, quote unquote, opinion. Mm-hmm. Someone, a safe space, safe emotional space to just let it all out. I don't think there, there's such a, um, a notion attached to that, that that means that there's something wrong. And I feel like even when your life is at peace, that is a very beneficial um, privilege to have in your life. Is your life at peace now? Yeah, in some ways. In some ways. Some things are still falling into place, but I'm I feel like I'm like coming up and out of some very dark waters. Yeah. And I'm feeling very grateful and at peace. Um have a, has a therapist ever uh prescribed you any oh, ther- can therapists prescribe drugs? No, no, that's a psychiatrist. Yeah, psychiatrist. Why do you ask? I'm just asking. You're just asking. <laughs> it's just you're never just asking. People don't just ask anything. No, but, I'm just asking. Okay, but um, that has been something that has been offered. I mean, you said you were uh, diagnosed with what ADHD? I definitely didn't say that. that? No. Nope. <laughs> 
What did you say? What did you say earlier? I never said I was diagnosed with anything. Oh. But um, yeah. I perhaps alluded to self-diagnosing oh. with as far as depression and anxiety and PTSD mm. goes. Um, and some people do turn towards like prescription medication or Western medication for that. Um, I did that once when I was like 18. It didn't work for me. Yeah. And it's such a, um, a gamble too. It's such an experimentation, a trial and error with those sorts of medications can really exacerbate your symptoms. Yeah. Um, yeah. I don't, uh, the reason why I was at bringing that up is because I don't agree with, uh, uh, when someone said given a medicine, mm-hmm. I feel like, uh, if you're sad, then, I don't know. There's there's ways to get out of depression. For sure, I completely that you agree. You don't even have to um, take medicine, and I think medicine makes it worse. I and, think and it creates other problems. I can see why you'd say that, and in part, I agree. Um, I think for some people who have very, I don't completely disregard or want to not give credit to sort of the power and efficacy of some realms of the allopathic approach. Mm-hmm. And I feel like with some people who have very severe symptoms, very maladaptive symptoms, I know I'm using very Anglo-centric, Eurocentric terminology right now, but there is some legitimacy to it. Yeah. Um, and for some people, I do feel like who have like literal chemical imbalances, mm-hmm. chemical and hormonal imbalances, some medications can really be beneficial. Um, it, it would be my hope that that would not be a permanent necessity, but for some people it might be. And again, we need to destigmatize that if that's the case for them. So be it, you know, but I do think that it is medications are overprescribed. The whole, like the whole world is just like medicine, Western medicine, how it's commercialized, the, uh, just the overtones and undertones of capitalism and just capitalistic greed. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, going on there it's just like how do you you know you cannot put a money value on compassion and we try to in this society and it's awkward mm-hmm. when we're failing in my when opinion was the last time you felt uh you were depressed um i don't know i feel like these days we all have been feeling a little depressed how do you get over that i tend to turn towards um plants meditation like Art, planting, planting, gardening, okay, and herbalism. Like I'm really into um, tinctures, not marijuana, mm-hmm. but uh, other forms, like concentrated forms of um, liquid forms of different plants and herbs. So, can- so, so, explain that to me. So, you, uh, do you just these are just herbs that you drink, or what, or just you can you okay. can take them in a variety of different you know forms. You can eat them. Mm-hmm. That tends to be a little hard on most people's digestive tract. So usually um, putting it in water and mixing it with something else to kind of dilute it a little bit can be easier, but it's effective in my opinion, even just um, the bubbly water. <laughs> um, uh, basil, holy basil. Mm-hmm. You can get that in liquid form, put it in some water, drink it. Really good aid for anxiety. Mm-hmm. Um so many indigenous and African communities have a very strong understanding of how if you just uh, go about things with a plant-based and holistic approach, mm-hmm. most things can be remedied just by that. And yeah. community, human connection. Yeah. I feel like so much of why people are depressed or sad 
or whatever, it's due to a lack of genuine, meaningful, and consistent human connection. Mm-hmm. We're, we're becoming so isolated. And it, I mean, with COVID and everything, it's not making things much easier. And I feel like a lot of people, you know, just alcoholism is through the roof right now. Drug use, drug abuse, or, you know, substance use um, issues are through the roof right now. Mm-hmm. Domestic violence through the roof right now. Divorce rates, you know. We're hurting. So let me let me ask your opinion on this. Uh, divorce rates are up, yes, and domestic violence is up, mm-hmm. yes, because everyone's stuck in the house. Now, my question to you is, why do you think that is? I mean, if you were with the man, mm-hmm. why why now get divorced when you've been you already known this person or the person like he or she known you, whatever? I think that um, for some people, I can't. Like, I don't, you know, I'm, I, yeah, I mean, my what, perspective is yeah, limited. What's your, what's your opinion? My opinion on the matter is that we are, people are being forced to be around one another way more than perhaps they were before. Like, even if you've been with somebody for some years, you're not necessarily cooped up in a house with them 24-7. Yeah. So uh, even things that might have been a little annoying or bothersome, it's like, all right, at least I get some relief. I get to have my own life outside of the house, you know? Um, and I'm, and there's so much immense, just layered levels of stress that we're all going through as individuals. And it's very easy to scapegoat people and kind of use others as a punching bag that are just in your immediate sphere. You know, do you think it's because people can't go out and cheat anymore? I think cheaters where there's a will, there's a way, honey. Like <laughs> I don't think that's changing really. Like husbands who uh we're married now they're stuck in the house and they just can't they can't leave and go see their side piece anymore they're stuck with it is my educated guess that that's not shifting much okay i don't think that particular dynamic again Mm. where there's a will there's a way for that kind of individual Mm. and even if it's not in person cheating we know how the internet works. <laughs> it's not that hard. But um, I can't, I don't know, I can't necessarily speak to that dynamic. But um, at this point in my life, at least. What do you miss about, um, what do you miss the most about the way things were to how they are now? Mm, I miss, um, you know, I'm a very reclusive, introverted, solitary person. And I real, but I really like having a lot of alone time out in the world, out in nature, mm-hmm. and even not necessarily in nature. I, like one of my favorite pastimes is to just go to a restaurant and eat by myself, reading a book. Yeah, you know, and it's just not a comfortable or safe experience in a variety of ways right now. Mm-hmm. Um, I just love going on little solo adventures out in the world. And I don't see. I think a lot of people and women in particular have this kind of unfortunate view of that you know like oh i I gotta be with my boo all the time or with a friend or something or i look lonely yeah alone and lonely are not the same thing if you feel lonely you're in need of yourself not Mm. anybody else in my opinion um so those are the things i miss i also really i'm like kind of a um what do people a gym rat is that what it's called yeah i used to really love working out and going to the gym and i found like other ways to make it happen but mm-hmm. that was just part of my like routine, you know, just having sort of set routines. Um, I miss that. Um, I mean, the, the downside to the gym life is that you got to deal with a lot of looking eyes and 
a lot of entitlement and impatience, you know, like how many more sets you got? Like if you don't back back and let me finish, my God, you know, things like that. Yeah. But, um, you know, the smell, the stench, mm-hmm. <laughs> just sweat and stinky equipment, all that. Um, I don't miss all that. But those other things I really do miss. Okay. Now, what do you, what do you like about how things are now and what they were? Um, it has really allowed for me to slow down and be more introspective and reflective on a lot of things. Um, it's given me time to take pause. You know, I've had the privilege to take pause from some things that I was, I just were obligatory prior to all of this. Mm-hmm. You know, I was a full-time student, full-time worker. So, you know, from like eight to three, I was in school and then from five to 11 working. <laughs> about five to six days a week yeah. for like five plus years. You know, that was my, my grind, you know, and prior to that, it w- I was just working full time, really long hours. Mm-hmm. So, and I worked during sort of um, up until July, I was a essential worker. I worked in a restaurant doing takeout. Mm-hmm. Prior to that, I was waitressing and I just shifted into the takeout because, you know, dining wasn't allowed for just some time. Um, and just, I took a month in between like that in grad school and that month alone was just like, so many things hit me. There was a lot of self-realization, you yeah. know, during that month alone. I was like, wow, imagine, you know, we, we put a lot of um, emphasis. We give a lot of love to, you know, thinkers like Buddha. That was a privilege, you know, to be out in the woods and just think like that. A lot of us don't have the privilege to do that. Mm-hmm. A lot of our people don't have the privilege to do that. Mm-hmm. Um, what gym did you used to go to? <laughs> um, I've been a member of so many different. I've been, you know, Planet Fitness all the way to Equinox. <laughs> like I've really been everywhere. But um, my most recent gym was uh, what's it called? LA Fitness. Oh, Whatever. Okay. God, it's been so long since I've been there. I almost blanked on the name. What do you do now to get your physical? Uh... Well, prior to these fires, I was hiking like a lot. Um, I have a lot of beautiful nearby trails. I'm near Martinez. So mm-hmm. there's a lot of beautiful like hiking spots out so you're, there. You're outdoorsy. Very yeah. outdoorsy. And I am yoga. And I found this one like very chipper, bouncy, you know, like yeah. person on YouTube who was helping get my butt right for a minute, but I fell off of that. <laughs> All right. So uh, tell the people <laughs> where they can find. Oh no, yeah, tell the people where they can find you if you want to uh, give a shout out of your Instagram. Sure. Or if you, your website. Okay. And uh, whatever else you want. Uh, the thousands and thousands of people who listen to this. Thousands and thousands. Oh my gosh. Thousands and thousands, yes. Um, all right. Well, as far as my website goes, the shop, you know, everything is out of stock right now because I just did a huge, I like put out a bunch of prints that all went towards like nonprofits that are catered to the uh, BLM movement. Mm-hmm. Um, and right now I'm, I'm working on some pieces again and I still like almost all the time, at least 25% of my sales go towards nonprofit organizations and I put all that information on my website so you can know where it's going. Yeah. <laughs> if you don't support it, cool, you know. But um my website is 
I'm just going to spell it out because I've got a Ukrainian name and it's going to confuse people. So um, it's by by Lena Christina.com. So it's B Y L E N A K R Y S T Y N A.com. And my Instagram is Lena Christina, L E N A K R Y S T Y N A. I tend to share, it's a myriad of things I share on my Instagram in particular. Again, I, I don't feel like I can confine myself to one mode of expression as a creative, as a healer, as a, just a, force of just female energy, <laughs> you know? Um, well, we all have female and male divine energy within us all, I believe, but I tend to really own my female energy. Yeah. <laughs> um, uh, I guess male energy too, because I, I can be kind of like, uh, as you know, even in this conversation, I've had to say some things, but um, yeah, find me on there. I share my art, a lot of sociopolitical stuff as well. Um, yeah, that's where to find me. Please be a part of my ongoing journey. <laughs> All right. Well, ladies and gentlemen, um, yeah, please follow her on all of those uh, different platforms. Support her. She is a force to be reckoned with. And if you just want to talk and ask some questions about, like if you're depressed or if you just want, or just anything, if you want mm-hmm. some advice about healing and how to heal yourself. Uh, yes. She is a good person to talk to about that. Because it's good to talk to people who actually been through the shit that you are seeking. I've been through a lot. I didn't even share all of it on here tonight. I could tell you were trying to get me to go there. but We can do part two. (laughs) Maybe, maybe not. Some things don't need to be said. But just so people know, I can relate to a lot. I don't want to bring my shit. Can I say cuss words on here? Okay, I don't want to bring my shit. Mm. into other people's shit this is their safe space right yes but um just know that i might get it more than you think and i can plug people to other things if i'm not the right person for them all right well thank you uh lena for gracing me tonight um thank you as well i'm very grateful this is everyday celebrity podcast (laughs) we are out you ashay